to the Golf Barons Podcast, Tenuous Links, a golf pun we're not only incredibly proud of, but one we're also sure to emulate. Let us careen through bloviated opinions on all things golf, some outrageous innovation ideas to speed up the game, a few laughs, and an historical retelling of an iconic golf moment. Time to add some swagger to your swing. Welcome, Barons, to the Tenuous Links Golf Podcast. Today we're going to get down and dirty discussing all things US Open as it heads to New York's winged foot. Philly, Kipper, lovely to see you both, lads. Good to be here. Good, I, don't, I was going to say good morning, but good night and good evening all in the one go. <laughs> anyway, you're hello. Looking, you're looking tired. It's getting to your days. All this, all this lockdown stuff. <laughs> Gents, Philly, get us started, mate. What have you got for me? You mean with a hate? Shoot it. With a hate. We always do start with hates, and I'm still not sure why, but that's what we decided on back in the day. Knee height drops. Now, this might sound like a bit of a bugbear of mm. mine, given the fact, as I continue to say, I've got five foot up to the knees. It's just awkward. <laughs> I was watching the Safeway Classic Open Classic, and the reason I don't know its name is because, really, as soon as it's attached to Safeway, who really gives us stuff? But <laughs> Harry Higgs, 16th hole, Harry Higgs has to take a drop. And it's knee height. Now, Harry Higgs is not the most supple athlete I've ever seen in my life. He's a very, very good player. But to watch him bend over, trying to find where his knee is in front of a rules official, but his hand was clearly at least six inches under his knee. It's so arbitrary. It's just absolutely ridiculous. And I don't know who came up with the idea. Are we getting back to the idea of can we just place the thing and be done? Well, I don't know. Yeah, I guess the placing leads itself to getting, you know, the ultimate lie and blah, blah, blah. But in further to Phil's point, it just looks childish, doesn't it? It looks ridiculous. <laughs> it looks gimmicky almost, like, doesn't it? Yeah. it it's like <laughs> someone taking a piss at mini golf and just going, right. But my point, my point being, if you just place it, I mean, you've already taken the penalty, so you've been penalised. So it's not like you're paying a shot to mm, have mm. have a nice lie. Is that not is that not enough? Can we just move on from it? But he wasn't actually penalised, so that was the issue. This was a free drop oh, off okay. a cart path, so therefore you do get penalised for getting a free drop. But someone's going to do a back. Someone's going to be bending over, and he's going <laughs> to the sciatic nerve is going to twinge, and someone's going to do a back, and it's going to be a lawsuit that I don't think the RNA and the USGA are prepared for. But wasn't the knee I drop brought in so you could literally like rip one out of your pocket, put your arm at full length, and drop it from your knee, not? Bend at ninety degrees and you know eyeball the turf as you drop a ball. Correct, but no one's hand is at knee height. <laughs> what happens? What happens to what? What's the ruling on people who are amputated below the knee? What happens there? Do they get to place it? <laughs> I've got here that you've got a guest hate as well, Phil. Oh, I do. Look, I, I I do have a guest hate, and we did have a very special guest. In fact, no, I won't say. You know, I will say who this guest hate is from. We had a very special guest a couple of weeks ago, John Craig from. Turich, who's the uh, vice president or senior vice president, it was a very long title. Guest hate, just how off the mark, we had this conversation that, that when you're in Australia, you listen to American commentators and you just go, they've just missed the point. And he said, now having been in the US for four years, he said, Australia is every bit as bad, if not worse. And the thing that he was referring to was some commentary from the media around the FedEx Cup oh, and how yes. oh, it's completely missed the mark and, and you know, money would be better spent elsewhere and there's no privilege in it, no prestige in it and all the rest of it. He's coming from the US. Sponsors love it. Uh, the PGA loves it and the players love it. The caddies love it and their families love it and, and the crowds love it. And the prestige will build 
And the money, which was deemed inappropriate or outrageous or otherwise, is actually just part of life. And it, the money wouldn't be there unless it drives, and we've had this conversation before, but unless it drives revenue. So when you've got Patrick Mahomes, who signs for 500 million bucks as quarterback of the Kansas City Chiefs, compared to winning 10 million bucks or 15 million bucks for the FedEx Cup, the money's not outrageous by US sports standards. It's just that we seem to be caught in this world of, well, if we've only got 26 million people, everyone should have to just behave like we do. And it was just a, a, a guest hate. It's the first guest hate we've ever had, and I probably didn't do it justice. I think it's a fair hate by uh, John as well because it's it's uh, like the players, as you say, they love it. They actually really try to play as hard as, as they can leading up to it. So they're so far down the pecking order that they make week two and three, you know, no matter what, rather than just, you know, dipping out in the first week because it, it, it means so much from the financial standpoint, but it's also just – it, the next year, it means everything for the next year. And, and Furek pointed out that it's the prestige is building too. So in, in five years' time, the FedEx Cup will be, uh, I need to have that on my resume. And in fact, Dustin Johnson was quoted as saying, I want the FedEx Cup on my resume. And so to sit in our little ivory towers in our 26 million people being employed by, anyway. It probably started off and it didn't, it had took a little bit of time to, to build itself up into an event that was worth watching. But the truth is now it's actually one of the more entertaining parts of golf during the year anyway. So it, it just, it screams of a bit of, uh, a bit of tall poppies, you know, I mean, cut down anyone who's making a buck or, or there's too much money there. And, mm. and I'm, it, it's almost a, it's almost a jealousy thing, I think. And you see a lot of that in the media here. The media here are so cynical about a whole a whole range of things, but in sports, very much so. There, there's too many curmudgeons still, Phil. We need to decurmudgeonize this. Uh, the media here. What does curmudgeonize mean? Oh, good on you, Kipper. Because I don't. It, it it it's actually not a word, Phil. But I'm just- is, that, is, that like, <laughs> is that like dichotomous that I had to look up and still can't spell? Curmudgeon is actually a little town just outside of Burke. <laughs> I'm no <so> Phil. <laughs> But 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 I agree though, Shooter. It it used to be a bit of a tiddlywinks event because the way it was structured, you could basically play dodgy all year and then win one event at the very end of that FedEx Cup and be crowned the champ. But it's not like that anymore. Really, the best golfer wins it. It has done for the last couple of years now. So that that holds yeah. a lot of cred. Now, I'm I'm a little bit a little bit edgy. I wouldn't say it's a hate of mine. This is more a disappointment I'm feeling on behalf of players. That we're well, one, we're locked down and we're not able to get um get over to the New York for the US Open. But another crowdless major, boys. I really feel because there's going to be someone at the end of at the end of Sunday, Monday our time, who has realised a lifelong dream possibly, or at least a, a dream that they've worked so hard for over decades possibly, and they're going to miss and they're going to miss out on the exhilaration of the 40,000 fans cheering them on. That that pure excitement. I really feel for them. I reckon it's um, it's it's really harsh. They haven't rolled with fake sounds yet, which has surprised me. Particularly after our suggestion in that podcast, I thought following the PGA, they would have had things crowd sounds piped throughout the course. <laughs> Because that was going to be, Damo, the logical follow-up to your your hate, as terrible as a hate as it was. That's hurtful. And that's big coming from me. Is there a hollowness or a lack of achievement from the – and not I'm not taking anything away from Morikawa, but, but if you don't feel the heaving of a crowd and don't have that added or implied pressure – because Kipper, you—I mean—you would have experienced this being on the bag of like Allenby when he's going for the triple crown. I mean, there is there is definitely an energy that sits in the crowd, and maybe that 
and we've spoken about this before, Paul Casey saying, I think it'll suit me on the Sunday. Well, it almost suited him, but then he found out that Kipper didn't like him much and so went to water. <laughs> but there is a heaving and an energy from the crowd that, that to your point, Tudor, can actually take away from the victory, but it also might make an unlikely victory potentially more likely from someone who, can, who, who doesn't like dealing with the crowds. Switching it to AFL, for example, grand final day. Yeah. You've worked your whole life to get there. You get there and there's no one in the crowd at that end, that final mm. siren goes. It has well, to be, I, it has to have an element of deflation to it. Well, no, I, I just was uh, watching a little bit of the ODIs in England and the amount of, let's call it, lack of now pressure that gets built up in an over or two when there's some good bowling going on because the crowd's not ooing and ahhing and the batsman can't kind of feel that heat and that perceived heat to get off the mark. It's, it's quite different. Like, it's enormously different. Like, just to watch a different sport, but how it's affecting, I suppose, their, um, they just don't go through the same nerves. So, I, I think you're right, Phil. I think this week and any other week without crowds, like Stuart Sink winning, you know, I think it makes a huge difference. They can just go out and play like on a Sunday with no one else. So, Kipper, do you hear a murmuring? I mean, you, again, let's, let's go back to, to the number of wins that you've carried. And I know you, you weren't playing, but you still get that, that sense in the player's mind. I mean, do you hear like whispers or you miss a short putt and the crowd, you know, do you actually oh. hear them saying, I can't believe you missed it. I would have hit it you oh. know, three inches right. A hundred percent. I remember when we were, it was, it was quite, quite amazing just the, the heat that we had coming into um, after winning the Australian Open, which obviously Rob sort of dominated it. And then we flew to Queensland and he come from sort of not nowhere, but he come from behind there to win. But we had a plan going on that um, final tee on the final Sunday. We are playing with Nathan Green. Bottom line is we're like, you know, Rob, one of the best players in the world. We've done this so many times, final group, final pairing. Let's go onto that tee with so much authority, so much you know, almost aura and make these guys feel a lot of heat from the get-go, right? And part of my job, I said to Rob, right, so I'm, I'm going to be pretty arrogant when I grab the waters and the Gatorades out of the, uh, the tub. I'm going to throw them, throw them at you across the tee and just just unruffle their feathers, make us feel like we own the tee box before we even teed off, right? And, and I, I still- It's a mind games, isn't it? 100% yeah. it was. So I walked onto mm-hmm. that tee and- and I had to word him up so he didn't drop it. I said, ready for this? And he's like, yeah. So I got across the other side too. <laughs> Jeez, that would have been magic if you, yeah. you threw it over to him. Just, yeah, slips through, hits right. him in the face. Yeah. <laughs> he's got a black eye. Yeah, and yelled uh, at him, hey, tournament what, what do you want? Blue, red? And he's like, I don't care. Whatever. I'm like, here you go. And chucked it. And it was brazen and it was everyone was quiet trying to do the right thing. And you could literally feel like or we, we were trying to own the tee box. And then that plays out in every field. Tiger did it to Allenby in the World Cup. Played against him in round, I don't know, in the semis, I think it might, might have been. Anyway, and Rob was pretty much touted as the only person that could beat him in the tournament. And they ended up playing each other on in the semis, and Rob went down uh, on the last hole, actually. Tiger made a um, big uh, birdie putt to get him. But coming into that match, we knew we were going to play him, and Rob was on the putting green, and Tiger and Stevie teed off on the, what day was it, Sunday practice round, and Stevie chirps over the crowd. And there's heaps of crowd, and they're watching Rob Putt, but they're more watching, obviously, Tiger tee off. And Stevie <laughs> pops his head over the gallery rope and goes, Hey, Rob, well done winning down in Australia. And now you're amongst the big fish, mate. See if you can match, see if you can, what do you say, lift your game and, and, and actually win something over here. And walked off, and him and Tiger laughing, and Rob was steaming, right? So, so it happens. Like It's all just that little edge that they, they need and want. Or as uh, the great Hank Baran once said to me many, many moons ago, Phil, my boy, 
you want to run with the big dogs, you got to stop pissing with the poodles. Mm. There's, there's just a point where we elevate the game. Anyway, that's all I've got. Yeah. Ah, it's, it's well, Kipper, have you, have, you got a, uh, have you got a hate for us this week? Oh, you know, I guess the only one I've, I've got back on the socials, haven't been on for five years, and you know what drives me nuts? My hate is, uh, let's call them the tools that invent trick shots, and they just do it all the time, flicking golf balls on their nose and up their shorts and around their head, and then they try to hit it. I'm like, just hit one straight. Try that for a trick shot. Right? It drives me insane. I think I'm. I think I'm a bit of an old bugger because I have no time for trick shots. <laughs> I know, but it's like you know that they've set the camera up. They've had you know at least three or four goes to get the right one they wanted, and then they've edited it, and then they've and then they like come across like they've just done it on the spot. It, it, honestly, I just it's. It's a little bit pet hate of mine. See, pool, a pool trick shot competition or snooker trick shots, I'm all for. They're actually they're quite entertaining to me, but, well, I, but golf I just doesn't excite me with trick shots. I don't know why. Maybe no, I'm no, just, a, just a cynical bastard. No, but I think on that though, mate, is that you, there's a real skill in a, let's call it a pool, you know, trick shot, they whole heaps that you've got to really get the angle right and do it. But when you, as I, say, as I say, doing it on Instagram, you're flicking your club up and then hitting it with a driver off your knees and- it's just like oh god, I don't know. It's just it's, been, it's it's like a it's like a full moon. You've seen one, you've seen them all. Yep, it's like a full yep, moon. So that's it anyway. Though, I, Finally, a bit of philosophy. Yeah. <laughs> now, guys, let's 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 move along. Let's get a bit of love into the uh, into the podcast, and I want to um, talk a little bit about old school course designers. So I'm talking about A.W. Tillinghast, um, the designer of Winged Foot, having. You know, done a bit of research for the US Open and just going back over over some, you know, the course uh, winged foot, which we haven't seen since 2006, obviously, when, when Ogilvy saluted for, for Australia. But like, there's just something intangible about the way those, the old, those old designers thought about a course when they built them. Mm-hmm. These greens, I mean, we'll talk a little bit more about them later on, but they're just a crazy pitch. You've been there, Dees, but the the crazy pitch from front to back and the different the different angles that they create, which is just you've got to see them to believe them. Mm. That's sort of that difficulty through through wiliness rather than just length, mm. brains over brawn kind of thing, which is which is why I love. It. So I love that it's back at at, at winged foot. And when you look at the previous winners there, it's it's kind of proof that this is a thinking man's course. Ogilvy, 2006, even Hale Irwin, Irwin in 74. It's just it, – I love a thinking man's course and these old school designers make them better than anyone. Mm, oh, I, I agree with that. I think it's because they don't – or didn't, I should say – get so many courses shoved in their face because, yeah, let's face it, with the world of, I guess, the media now, social media and whatnot, you've got so much access to what – you know, to look at courses and what you think looks good and, and you almost get an impression in your head of that. That's that's a nice looking hole. That's what a golf hole should look like. Whereas a lot of these old time designers, I think, just went with the land a lot more and also had um, their own personal likes that they didn't necessarily get, I suppose, um, buggered out of. Right? And yeah. I mean, the square greens that are there, you just I can't think of another course like it to be honest. Yeah, who makes square greens? Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> they did it. The other thing is that that I think is they did it with shovels. Yeah. Yeah, did that. I mean, if you think of the Morecambs and, and creating all the bunkering and, and the like at, at around- No heavy machinery back then. They did it yeah. with shovels and just hard work. I mean, there's no better way of getting mm. a feel for the ground than having your yeah. feet on it. And now it's done with machinery. I think it's a very difficult thing to replicate. And and looking at the number of, of Tillinghast courses that Gil Hans is, is restoring back mm. to its original pride. I mean, he, he, he's 
speaks about it. Uh, and there's a fantastic video, a YouTube video from the fried egg that uh, talking about for seven minutes, talking about mm. just the greens at winged foot. But he talks about it with this this envy and admiration and of the great designers of the time and how I needed to restore this because this is this is how we wanted it. And and one of the ways he described it was the 18th green, how there was almost a, a staircase with this big false front that has been restored. But he said it was almost like there's a staircase that you climb as you get up towards the, the clubhouse. I, I think they just allowed themselves to be dreamers. Mm. We've stopped dreaming. And I think this is the same with golf hitting golf shots. The sevies are gone. The dreamers are gone. And so when you do see a dreamer like Mickelson or, or um, the idea of hitting this, this creative shot, so I say Mickelson or Dubasson or, or one of these guys, that we say, oh, wow, he's got a creativity like Seve. It's because we're so – not cookie cutter. I don't know we're getting a bit off topic, Damo, but it, maybe that is the point. And we'll have to get a course designer on just to have a great chat. And there's, there's a couple that we know because I think it is – Fascinating. Is there is a is there a, a difference between being hands on in the course design, gear hands, or having it good by you or me or you, or having it all CAD cammed? I mean, having everything, you know, all the greens mowers, you know, are, are now becoming automated or GPS managed, and so you don't get a feel as a greenskeeper. You don't get a feel for. Oh, hang on, that dipped away a little bit too much. Maybe we need to do something about that. So anyway, I've digressed a bit. So here is a, a real love, and this is just a, a public service announcement. Really, but I love paramedics. I love the guys who man helicopters from a rescue point of view. I love emergency room doctors and nurses and everyone involved with it from triage the whole way through. I love random acts of kindness and I love the concept of uh, and delivery of Are You Okay? And the background of this, just briefly, my brother was on a paddleboard uh, down at Shoreham last Tuesday, got hit with a large wave and knocked him off the paddleboard, and he's a very accomplished paddleboard and a big man, and he's gone headfirst into submerged rocks. He was unconscious in the water, face down, unable to move his arms or legs, and contemplating the last 15 seconds that he had of breath and what it meant to his life. A surfer who just happened to be there who, by the name of Shane, who he had never met in his life, paddled over, and with Rowan 10 or 15 seconds of breath left, rolled him onto his back and asked him, are you okay? And from there, Rowan said, no, I'm in some trouble with a word starting with F and N and ED, of which Shane gently gently got him to shore and, and calmly out of the water, was able to coordinate ambulances, kept checking in with my brother to make sure that he was okay. So Shane is a lifesaver. The paramedics... The, Shane's the a legend. Who arrived, work, they couldn't land the helicopter on the beach, so they had to lower down the basket. And you know, as, as my brother said, with effectively, with an angel came down with the basket to get him loaded in. There were a number of different paramedics on site, all trying to help with the rescue. And then he was whisked, whisked up to the Royal Melbourne Hospital. So my love is a genuine love: paramedics, helicopter pilots, emergency service workers in general, and there's a lot going on at the moment in that space. Outstanding love. Um, random acts of kindness and are you okay? Three votes. Shane, I'm glad my brother is okay. <laughs> I was going to say, how, how is your brother? I don't even know. He's, he's, he's okay. He'll be, he's got a neck brace on for four or five more weeks, but he was. it would be fair to say he was very close to not only being quadriplegic but 
but not being around. And if it wasn't for Shane, the absolute reality is, and Shane didn't stick around for any kudos either. Shane made sure that he was looked after, saw him off in the helicopter and did what he had to do and then left. And my brother, I discovered yesterday, managed to track down Shane as just a random surfer and all he knew was his first name. And Shane, or anyone who knows a Shane who surfs down at Shoreham off Little Noosa, please tell him that he is a superstar on behalf of our well, Bloody legend. Hey, good luck, D. He's following that, pal. <laughs> hey, I, uh, I'm off to the bar. <laughs> <laughs> no, look, I, I've got a pretty soft love this week. I, I love that I didn't know the US Open was even on. I'd uh, absolutely have <laughs> no clue that it was happening. So uh, there you go. I, I got a text from you boys about the podcast. I'm like, well, there you bloody go. US Open's on. And Tell me why that's a love, Dees. I just loved how it made me feel. I'm like, oh, we've got something something big happening next week. When really, I, I thought FedEx Cup would happen, done, finish, and then they'd have weeks off. But I haven't looked at the schedule all year because it's changed everybody two weeks. So Because it's been such a strange one, hasn't it? Yeah, With everything right. being rescheduled. It's, it's, and there's something about majors that just, that just lift you, don't they? You, yeah. you, it's like that first test, that first test. Uh, cricket test that comes up for the summer. There's just something about it that just gets you up yeah, and about. So I was like, oh, there we, there we go. Yeah, it's going to be a good week. Particularly, <laughs> there's something magical about a US Open at winged foot, isn't there, Dees? But we'll get on to that uh, later on. I don't want to steal your thunder. No. no but think about, I think the thing just quickly about that as well is it's now got history <laughs> amongst Australians for the rest of history, yeah. right? So we'll always remember winged foot. So, yeah, no, that's, it's a, we'll get on to it, obviously. But, uh, yeah, rip and track, and I'm, I'm looking forward to the week. So that's me love. Very good. Philly. Game changes this week. You wanted to talk a little bit about the technology on golf games. Oh, this was only just a very brief mention because it <laughs> occurred to me again watching the Safeway Classic and Stuart Sink again winning as a 47-year-old. And a couple of weeks ago we discussed, is there still room for those sort of players to, to win in the game? And, yeah, he, I mean, he still hits it a long way out there and that probably helps. He had his son catting for him, which I also loved. And, and they looked a little bit slow in terms of how they were playing, but – I mean, ultimately, they must have been going okay, although at one stage when Harry Higgs uh, decided to walk the 78 yards up to the green from his ball on 17, I thought that's a bit of a piss take. But he had, on the 17th hole, he had 74 yards to the hole, and he said to his son, so we got 74 yards, so I've just got to uh, hit this about 79 yards, just like the track man game. And I heard that, and I thought to myself, these guys love golf so much, or a lot of them love golf, they sit at home or on the range with either their friends, maybe with their sons, daughters, wives, family, and they continue to play little target games, little, mm. a little bit of target practice and not hitting wedge at you, Damo, dressed in high-vis, carrying a, um, a chainsaw. But they, it was just fascinating, this insight of saying, so I've got 79 yards, just like the Trackman game. And it wasn't so much a game changer. It was just how technology is just now part of the – vernacular ahead of a critical shot trying to win for the first time in in 11 years oh yeah just got to hit this like the track man got i mean he actually hit it a little bit over the track man but he recovered okay. well played by the kitchen yeah but it's ama- it is amazing that, that 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 combine test they do on on track man it's one of the f- rare times you can pitch yourself against the best players in the world and actually know where you stand i understand he's um 
I guess he's allured to that game there because it's not like a dinky game you go and play these, you know, I guess, you know, indoor systems that you can sometimes get that aren't real and don't measure it properly and blah, blah, blah. The combine test is so good, it's not funny. And you do, you have a number in your head and you bang, that's you've got to bang out five balls, move on. So he would have played that game with his son probably <laughs> numerous times and therefore you get a number and a feel and you're like, oh, that's that's that. Brilliant, I love it. And he then hit the 79-yard approach 94 yards, but that's not the point. Yeah, yeah. The point was is that it was, you just had to hit it like the track man guy. I mean, that was, so it's he not forgot it was downhill, to. downwind. <laughs> I've been having a good look at, at winged foot and it's really hard not to get quite excited about how this is uh, this US Open is going to play out just with a, with a course that we haven't seen it we haven't seen it played in the in the US Open for what 14 years but these you've been there T- tell us what it is that's so special about winged foot the west course obviously yeah, look, we're talking I, about I think I think for, for, for me caddying it's probably obviously clearly different for a player because you know they certain things suit their eye and, and all the rest of it but when you're a you're a caddy you're more just looking at the pure test, the strategy, and I guess how you go about mitigating issues. That's, that's kind of how you go, go through your, your general, I suppose, pre-run up to the event. And the thing about Wingfoot that I know might surprise people, but it, it actually looks pretty easy off tees because mm. it's so so spacious. Like, there's no trees really and the grass, well, this, this will I'll get picked on here, but the grass is green. <laughs> But even the, the differential between the rough and the fairways isn't like some other courses where you look at the rough and you go, oh, my God, it looks black or dark green. And if I go there, this ball ain't coming out. It's not like that to the eye. So it gives you this sense of, okay, the fairways are tight and rough's long and all the rest of it, but it's not pigeonholing my shot here. I, I don't have to lace this dead straight and, and I'm okay. It gives you this kind of freewheel sense. So. That that's what surprised me about it was that okay the holes are more wear you down than anything right they they continually mm. 480 490 500 yards over and over and over and over and over and over and I actually don't know if there's another course in the world that has that many holes that are almost the same yardage I'd love to know that fact actually but mm. it gets to a point where you, you know, here's another one right sort of the same and you've got to keep stamping out quality golf shots and that's what makes the course a, a really good test because no no chopper's going to win there because right? you, you have to hit good shots and it's r- notorious for its um, putting surfaces like we spoke about it mm. a little bit earlier it's just crazy steep from back to front almost like a roof pitch on on some of them which I think it was originally part of the design originally just to drain water, like get the water to run off, because obviously the drainage systems weren't quite quite up to speed way back then. But but Gil Hans, so he's he's redesigned. Well, he's sort of redesigned it, uh, it. about three years ago to restore it to bring it back to the original right. layout, which now, by all reports, is it's just it's screaming. It's that it's that brilliant. What's he done, Dames? That that that, that is one of the main things. I I just hadn't hadn't been up on that. That's all. Has he done anything outlandish to bring it back? Was there things that were missing? False fronts was one of the key things on, on greens. Is actually restoring right false fronts, and in fact, he referred to on this this video the the hole that Ogilvy chipped in on, which was sixteen or seventeen. 17 sixteen, 17, I think it was. No, I think it chipped in sixteen. Yeah. yeah, would now be he wouldn't be chipping because that you know that would all be then part of the green right. runoff. So he's restored a lot of false fronts because that was the way the course was designed, and they. Just speak about it in glowing terms, but not only that, but the the head curator grounds creeper, head of grounds, head of mounds, these compared to 2006 has declared that the rough might be a little on the dark side. Is it? Yeah, right. And a little bit on the deep 
side because they've said there won't be a 13 under here. We're not, we're not pursuing under par. He's declared potentially, he's declared that eight over may well be a winning score. Yeah, right. <laughs> but, but it is a US Open. So, so traditionally, at least of the last decade or so, they have been making them harder and harder. And, and an over par is more than likely going to be the score, which we can touch on a bit, a bit later. But one of the other things that Hans did when he um, restored it was he, he expanded it back to the, what was kind of, I suppose, the key to the course was it's green. So they've made the greens larger back to their original size and kept in the, that, Nat- well, not, it's not a natural fall, but that fall brought that right back. So that it's going to be, it's going to be impossible putting when they, once that's tricked up. Will we see someone putt into the bunker or into a bunker or off the green? We're definitely going to see someone putt off a green, but I reckon uh, there's a chance we'll see someone putt into a bunker, which is, which is rare <laughs> with, with how good. Well, these Mo Norman are. did it. <laughs> but he did it on purpose. Dees, one of the things, so one, one Damo, to your point, I've got no doubt we're going to see some really interesting things, but one of them that I'm most looking forward to is seeing, and I'll relate this back to a golf course where I play a little bit, uh, which is the Mooner course and the old course at the National Golf Club in, in Melbourne in Victoria. Are they a couple of name in drops because the, they're some pretty good courses. You like that? Yeah. But the fact that you can stand over a putt and you can either hit it straight at the hole or you can hit it up the hill 50 feet to the left and have it feed around and then ultimately feed back down to the hole. And I think there's a lot of these contours, which he's also restored as part of his process, that allows you to think, if you're creative enough, this is that sevy idea. You can go wherever you want. It's no surprise that Ogilvy won the US Open there just with that, his, both his understanding of course design and course designers and what and their intent, and we will touch on that a little bit later, but also just being able to then deliver on it. But Dees, to your point about it being potentially a little bit more wide open in terms of you don't feel hemmed in off the tee, the point was also made by Ogilvy that, you know, Tillinghast and similar to McKenzie, the idea is make it as easy as possible to get to the green and make it as hard as possible from there. And I think there's a real flow in that that we love that maybe current designers don't have so much. Yeah, and, and uh, sorry, Dones, I'll just add one point to Phil's topic there is, is that when you've got your approach shot into these greens, you, you start almost overthinking it exactly like you do at Augusta, where first couple of times around Augusta, and I won't, this stand will sound ridiculous, but you, it, it's, it seems easy, right? Because you're like, oh, I'll just hit it there. And it's not till you get up to the green and realise, shit, if I had to hit it three foot left, I'd take triple. You start to get the heebie-jeebies over where not to hit it, and and that's that's the same sort of thing at Wingfoot. You get into your head, right? Okay, I've got this huge green or pretty big green, and there's the pin. Looks pretty central, but gee, I need to hit it here, and, and I need to fly it this far to get that swale. And and you do you start to overcomplicate what looks like pretty simple shot from the fairway. This year, you're going to see that it's going to be a lot more narrow than it has traditionally been. From the looks of it, there's going to be a real premium on straight hitting. So straight, so people who, who hit, like who hit straight or hit or are very good at recovery shots and putt, they're the guys that you, you'd expect to do quite well, um, come Sunday. But Tillinghouse, he's a, he's a unique designer. Some of the courses, if you have a look at the other courses that are in his, um, repertoire, unbelievable. Philadelphia Cricket Club, Philly. It's the oldest, oldest country oh. club in the US. If there's a course that I, I know we talk about a lot of must plays. <laughs> But this is a must play. This this is incredible. And they still play cricket there, Phil, so he can roll the arm over as well at the back. In fact, he learnt cricket there. Tillinghurst learnt to play cricket at Philadelphia Cricket Club prior to then, then doing the design. But these uh, Philadelphia Cricket Club, again, from a green point of view, has got these almost weird, a couple of times these weird corners 
and, and really different things that just don't make any sense. But I've never played one that doesn't make sense. And I want to play these courses that don't make sense, yet they make perfect sense. Yeah, we just get so used to seeing what just what we think is normal, isn't it? It's like stereotyping. You're like, oh, that that hang on, that shouldn't be like that. Yeah, and it's like when you see a square bunker, you're like, it shouldn't <laughs> be like that. But why shouldn't it be like? But why shouldn't it be like yeah. that? Exactly. Yeah, and I've I've had a look at a few of his courses, and I, I might have uh, I might have a new favourite course designer, or at least <laughs> someone's someone's been bumped out of the top five. Just go through a couple of them, Philly. Yeah, Quaker's Ridge. Have you have you had a look at that? Uh, I, I may have inspected Quaker's Ridge. I may have inspected uh, Belter's Roll as well, and the one that that is another must play. To the point where my question to you, Damo, before I mention San Francisco Golf Club, my question to you, Shooter, is given how good his designs were, how did you manage to overlook him for Baron's Life, <laughs> great designers of all time? <laughs> Yeah. So, number one, you know the answer to that. It's because you gave me a short list and he wasn't on it. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, two, we needed to make sure we had had enough images of courses. So, yeah, look- it's all subjective. Let's 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 not always always picking on the fat kid. I don't you just uh, <laughs> I don't you just let me go for a minute. And uh, he would he would have made it into the. Um, we didn't say the. We didn't say it was a definitive list. And as for the little fat kid, maybe next time say no to the burger. Don't it? <laughs> it was it was certainly it was certainly an oversight. <laughs> it was certainly an oversight. But two questions: Do we do we enjoy seeing the pros struggle on a tricked up course to show? You know, this is golf as hard as it gets and the best players in the world with a real challenge. And two, what do we think the winning score will be? Will it be over or under? Considering Ogilvy won at plus five, Irwin in 74 was plus seven, even back to 1929 when Bobby Jones won the US Open at winged foot, he won it at six over before a playoff the, the next day. I, I personally don't like to see him struggle over and over because I, I think it's almost like the designers, well, not necessarily the designers, but normally the, the ground staff or the tournament directors have got this anti, you know, they're not allowed to play well mentality as opposed to anything else. They're like, well, they will not score on this course. And I don't understand why that's so. And we've spoken about this when we saw DJ Ripper 30 under and why, why is that frowned upon? Like, so I'm, I'm in that kind of boat more. I, I, I think when you you trip a course up, you can trip it too much, right? You can really – I remember Augusta one year we were there and, and the 13th hole was playing reasonably, let's call it, attackable. And Wednesday we were there and um, I was with Stevie Williams and he's like, oh, pay no attention to this green speed and this slope right here. They'll bring the mowers out and they'll change the direction of the grass overnight and they'll mow everything towards the water from this pin here. So let Baz know that he cannot land here or he's done. So they almost put little things in there that weren't there the whole week just to yeah, mess with you. And so there's a part of that that, that I, I don't necessarily agree with because it's not a fair playing field when you don't know it's coming. But I further to, the, I guess, the best players being tested, that is a good thing. But sometimes a tripped up. Yeah, but, if it's, but if it's tricked up, it's it tricked up for everyone, Dees. So everyone's yeah. playing under the same circumstances and the same conditions. So is it just, is it just pros and, and caddies not wanting to work a little bit harder? No, because because tripped up is is just that it's it's half the time you can get lucky and unlucky in the same 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 shot, and that I think is is not necessarily the best way to to, to set up a course when people can hit two shots exactly the same in the same rough area, and one is just dead because they've tried to let the rough grow berserk, and then there's a patch that isn't, and all of a sudden, so yeah, I, I don't know, I don't know, I'm just yeah. And what's the winning score going to be? 
Well, I, geez, I, I don't know. Like I, I had a little bit of a brief look at some of the setup of it today on, online, and that's hard to tell what, you know, the fairways do look definitely narrower. Hard to say what length rough they're running at. I didn't look that up, but look, you, you a, would think a simple plus four would have been would have been great. Yeah. <laughs> well, I got no idea. There's the answer. <laughs> you, you, okay, fair enough, Philby. Do you know actually? Well, well, just on that, Kipper, and I think I might have told this story before about my mate Stephen, who I worked with at Spalding many years ago. That I'd come in having played at the Trobe, and he'd come in having played at Midlands. And we'd compare scores, and every week he'd just say I had 31 points or 32 points, and I'd start to tell him the story. He's like, hey, how big are the scorecards at the trope? Just write the number. So, you know, when we <laughs> say give me a number, give me a number. So the winning score will be a plus four. Is that a so long-winded way thing. of saying plus four, by the way? <laughs> <laughs> that's right. The second thing, there's a beauty that I think we need to try and get our heads around of a beautiful par or a perfect par or an unbelievable two-putt or an incredible not quite up and down because it just changes the the scope because if we think that birdie and eagle is the only achievement in the game, then we're going to be obsessed with the 30 unders and we're not ever going to have the balance. So all it is is a bit of a paradigm shift saying, what about if the perfect par existed? And a great example to that was Billy Casper in 1959 at the US Open, also at Wingfoot. So the third You were at hole, that, weren't you, Phil? Yeah, I was cutting for it. So what we discussed at the third hole, which back then was 215, 214 yards, is that Billy Casper decided to lay up on all four days. So he could have hit four iron or three wood or four wood in there, but he decided to hit five iron because he figured that the worst he's going to make is four, whereas if he hit it into the wrong spots, he could easily make six, seven, eight. And all four days, he got up and down. He laid up on a par three and played it as a short par four, and all four days, he got up and down. So to your point before, Damo, about it being a thinking man's golf course, You've got the ability to contemplate your shots. And I think the caddies, and I know we, we bag them a lot, Steve, you might have heard that. I think this might be a week to find out who has got the best caddy. Um, 100%. Because if John Rahm's caddy allows him to lose the plot, you know, having made ridiculous demands for contract money, story for another time. But if he, if he, his caddy allows him to lose the plot, if, DJ's caddy starts thinking more about things that he shouldn't be concentrating on whilst DJ is playing. It can blow things out really quickly because they, they feel like all the pressure is on their shoulders. And D's, that there's no question, and I don't want to give you any credit, your success and Rob's success <laughs> and Aaron's success when you were caddying for them came from having someone who could actually absorb some of the pressure so they could actually push it onto you and take it over. This is that week. Speaking of caddies who, who should really uh, lift their games – Phil Mickelson this week, will he be exercising his demons hitting a driver on, on 18 <laughs> all four days or is he just going to just stay right away from it? Because there's no doubt that over the over the past 14 years he has had nightmares over, over that, obviously cost him the title in 2006, could not have hit it worse, shouldn't have hit the driver. Like it's obvious these things are easy in hindsight obviously, but but Dees, would you as his caddy coming back to the, the scene of the crime, so to mm. speak, would you be saying to him, right, here's your driver, hit a good one, it's out of your it's out of your mind, you're done. Don't worry about it now. Or would you just say, Don't even you don't need to hit it? A- Phil? As in now or back then? Now. Now, like is it still gonna be playing on him? It's still gonna be sitting on his oh, shoulder no, when I, he's standing on I'd that. I'd be team. giving him driver every day there now. Just because that'd be fun. You're an unemployed <laughs> caddy now, yeah? <laughs> I just want to say the corporate marquees get in the uh, shot. <laughs> no, <Nah>, look, <laughs> honestly, it, it's an interesting one because I, I think now he's 
just as cavalier with his shot making he's ever been, but he, the bomb that that he's now created and and is a part of his repertoire, he needs so. Look, if it's 18, he's leading. I think you'll see a different shot coming up 18. But but otherwise, you know, he bombs it up there. He's only got wedge in out of the rough if he doesn't hit a you know, ridiculously stupid shot, and not he? So he still wins. Was it the club selection or was it the way nah. he hit it? Nah, it's just totally the way he hit it. And, and that's why when people make mistakes, it's really hard to – Unless you're there and you know what was – you're privy to a conversation. You, you, and that's why the, they should be mic'd up all the time to add that little bit of theatre in there. But, yeah, like they would have talked about that all week. Yeah, there would have been different wins. And, like, that that hole, you can just blow it down there really and you've still got to – you know, not that far in really. So it's like – But didn't he put himself in an impossible position because he wanted to bite off more than he needed to? Like, can we at least admit that that was the wrong club? doesn't matter how bad he's hit it. If he hit a three wood well, half as bad as that, he would have still been okay. Not really. Not Did you see where he hit it? <laughs> yeah, well, that's what I mean. He couldn't have hit a three wood anywhere near it. Yeah, but sometimes <laughs> when players are, are, are nervous, like giving them a, a, a full swing at it helps. They've just got to let go, whereas they can get very steery. You saw that with Norman, you know, when he against <laughs> – oh, against against um, uh, bloody uh, – who was it? Everybody. Yeah, but when he had <laughs> – Five on the last at Augusta. God, I've gone, gone blank. Who he lost to and he blew it right, took bogey. Anyway, uh, shouldn't have hit that club. Should have should have actually went at it hard, but he went easy on it and cost him. So, like, I think sometimes you just blowing the doors off it when they're nervous is a good way to go. But Phil's Phil. You're never going to get that driver out of his hand if he wants to hit it. And if they're up and about, why would you? I mean, if they're, yeah. like, if he's flushing driver, you just go, you know what, you've been hitting it so well, go again. I, I'd say you just back it, get on the mm. bike. It's almost that Hollywood story, though, that he's he's made the mistake. It's the start of the story, and then <laughs> the final scene. He's at the same place. Does he does he go for it again, or does he does he wind back and and make a smarter play or whatever it might be? And if it's Hollywood, he's having a swing, and he's Hollywood. If anyone is, I can tell you now, it wouldn't be going. It wouldn't be going left. He'd be duck hooking <laughs> it hard right. Exactly. <laughs> Dees. So Phil and I have often spoken about Royal Melbourne being the greatest collection of 18 holes on the planet. As a collection of individual holes, every hole is just incredible and is special in its own right. Could winged foot be the greatest collection of 18 greens on the planet? Mm, well, because I, I, of the changes now that they might have done to a few of them, I, I don't know about this year, but when we were there in 2006, it, it was a fair t- – like, like Royal, it was a fair test, but they were by no means like, you know, I suppose Mickey Mouse. So – it, to your point, they are. Every green is a is a real thinker's green, and but you can play. It's not like you have to be like really finicky with your putts. You can still hit a strike a good putt and and hit a line um, with some confidence and not be fearful of. I guess it depends what speed they put them at this week, but you not be fearful of you know running at forty thousand foot pass like some of the greens and so yeah, they're an amazing collection of greens, but great. Pin, you got, you can got great pin placement chances at that course, yeah. more than any other course I've ever seen. Yeah, And that was a comment that Hans made as well, is that with part of the green restoration, they've been able to build in or, or rediscover, I suppose, old pin positions that he said the USGA are going to have an absolute field day with because they're, they're outstanding and, you know, cut tight in various places. But, but you know, Ogilvy rates them as just a, a tremendous group of – or the greatest group of – greens of all time but he had this quite a strange quote actually which it said the greens are a bit more random but naturally so full of odd corners and shapes and just that description whilst watching this this video was 
so dramatic that it just said, I think I might need to speak to John from Chicago about somehow getting me onto winged foot from New York because I need to, I just need to see it. It just wet the appetite enough. And I think the coverage will do more to that, to just wet the appetite enough to say, I need to start playing these places. And even from a local level, we look at the, the rebuilding of Lonsdale Links down on the Ballerine Peninsula with OCM and Mike Cocking. Some of their greens there, they've actually taken the best out of greens from around the world. And there's a couple of them, like big double greens that are effectively corner Lego blocks and not afraid of corners. It, I think it's dramatic and just opens up. Why does a green have to be full of flowed, flowing edges? And all the rest of it. Now, one last thing I had just about the greens before we get on to a couple of other things about winged foot. Power, putting on power versus bent. There's been a lot of discussion around the, the grasses there and, and winged foot is a power annual golf course. What does that mean to Joe Punter when they're looking at their ability to punt on? I mean, Augusta's obviously not. Yeah, uh, well, not much to Joe Punter, Thanks. but to, to those guys, it does mean a bit because it's a different thatch. You get a different. I guess blade lengths and the, the you know bent can almost grow in a day and it you know, goes blue and you see all that sort of stuff at at um, well, especially other courses around Royal and whatnot they, they can go hard real quick. Poa is different. Poa Poa holds moisture for longer. It it's almost can get a I think a truer roll for longer right. Whereas bent throughout a day you can get by the end of that day a three or four footer gets almost you get anxiety over it because you're like this is going to take off like concrete like it's just gone but you don't really see that with power so i think power is actually a, a, a more friendly surface to be honest i'm going to adjust my score to three under <laughs> I, but don't you think that, you, you you've played on both what do what you what do you reckon phil well i think i mean that was funnily enough because i'm not a grass expert uh, my brother well, was but i'm neither not neither am I. <laughs> um to actually clearly be able to identify i mean it like bermuda against bent is Crystal clear, but yeah, but power. The main thing visually that that you might expect if you're standing on a power green is the fact that it looks a bit like a patchwork quilt, a little bit more so with with dark and light. And they talk about the grass flowering. It almost looks like it's got a disease, doesn't it, Phil? It really does. So so you think about smooth and flat Corona grass and, and all these golf courses around the world <laughs> who are desperate, but they're desperate to get rid of the power. And they'll spend hundreds of thousand dollars getting rid of power. Yeah. Whereas some of the other great golf courses in the world just say, you know what, if you can't beat them, join them, and we're just going to make the best of it. And they make the great of it. What would be a course down here that would have um, power? Because I know plenty that have they've bent grains, obviously, but are there any around us that would have any – that would be the power setup that I can compare it to? That's what I was trying to think of, Shooter, like, like a clear example. Like I know what it is if I'm standing on it. I got a feeling, and I could be, you know, I'll get yelled at here. I'll but back yet. What's it called? Kingston Heath a year or two ago was having a real problem with it was either disease or power. I can't remember which one. They were having a real problem in the role and they, in the they were golf day there. <laughs> and given they are pure, I mean they are pure putting services. But power because it looks patchy. Like I, I would say, there's moments that I mean, even if you look at playing at Moona down at the Nash, I don't know what the grass. Greeny or the green on the grass on the greens is wow, it's like a Dr. Zeus book. <laughs> <laughs> but you do stand there sometimes and you say it's a bit of a patchwork quilt. And I think many years ago, I think Commonwealth might have been power greens when they were running a dual grass, uh, winter grass on the, the fairways. Or I could be completely wrong and I really mm. need to do a bit more research next time we do a podcast. So moving on, one of the <laughs> things that I most like about winged foot 
is the logo. Now I'm a big I want I'm a big believer in club drinks. You are a brands man. Yes. I like club drinks. <laughs> By the way, the, the Southerly Busters were magnificent, no matter what the Greens were like. At at Kingston Kingston that, that is truly one of the great drinks oh, of the world. I don't care where you are. We just it's nice that if you're at Kingston Heath. But so I like club drinks and I like club food, but I like logos that speak to what's about to happen. And this Wingfoot logo <laughs> I just it's wish my the view- logo. I just wish is it up there with the golf barons? I, I just wish the viewers could, uh, the uh, listeners could see what I'm seeing. I'm listening to Phil crap on about logos, and he's got a logo behind <laughs> his head the size of a freaking bus that is our logo. <laughs> <laughs> it is our podcast logo because yeah. that is their second best logo in the world. Is our podcast yeah, logo absolutely closely followed yeah. by our logo? But the winged foot, the wings, and the golf clubs just screams. This is a place for golfers and for athletes or for gods and golfers. I think if you allow the, the iconoclasty, how is that done? Right? You like that? Nice by you. To, to take over when you look at that logo. It says everything about the golf course, everything about the facility. It's, it's not just some random designer saying, oh, we'll just whack a you know, little square edge there and this. Over. I mean, it has been considered thought about and nailed. I'd like them to um, go to a little bit more old English though and Rename it Winged Foot. I'd like it to be Winged. <laughs> we can name it Winged Foot. But I, I love that. I, I also love, uh, and it was only just as part of my dodgy little research, for all those out there, it's got a slope rating of 141. Wow. Um, now, in US open conditions, I'd hate to think what the slope rating is, but that is, so kind of what it's saying is you're not going to find a tougher test of golf on the planet. And I don't know what the highest slope rating would be for a golf course. Because I haven't bothered to research that, but would you take thirty-three feet of putts for a day there, Phil? It's a question of putts putted, feet putted versus feet feet hold, shooter. And it's a new stat that I'm going to be working on: is is this ratio of amount of feet that I've actually hit putts versus the amount of feet that have gone in? Because I think that holds that is like the golden rectangle that holds the secret to golf and potentially life. Damo, if I ever play a round of golf and only hold 33 feet of putts, I, I may well check out. <laughs> and I, I'm not in a good putting form, but I'm done. Uh, you are a putt. Mm-hmm. Why do some players, why do their games suit certain design courses? We've spoken a lot about the course, the Tillinghouse course, but are there some, this is probably for you, Dees, are, are some golfers more likely to play well on a certain, you know, are they an Alistair McKenzie golfer? Are they are they a Tillinghouse golfer? Well, yeah, it's interesting. Des- Designer-wise, I haven't got the answer for that, but I've definitely got the answer for, you know, them setting up for certain courses and playing that course as well. It's, it's, it's uncanny how players can play a course year after year after year very, very well and not play well at the very next track. It's got nothing to do with their f- reign of form. It's just got everything to do with it sitting and fitting their eye. And the only way I can describe that is that everyone who plays golf will ex- have experienced this over the journey. Getting on a tee box at, w- at your local club that you've played you know, hundreds of times and there is a tee shot on that course that you're just like, oh, this just sucks, right? And it, it mightn't be for any reason other than it just gives you the heebie-jeebies. And it just, yeah, and so therefore courses, some of them, players have, have to set up to numerous shots that just don't suit their eye, suit their shot shape or make them feel uncomfortable, and others they just feel so so at ease about. So if you had one course that you could pick for Rob Allenby while you are catting and know that this, this suits mm. him to a T, uh, what would it be? 
Oh, probably Albert Park. <laughs> <laughs> Just uh, take driver all take driver all day, and he doesn't have to chip because he could putt from off the green, and uh, he's away, absolute away. But besides that. <laughs> Ironically, I, I got to be honest, uh, Augusta fitted him like nothing else. It's such a draw-bias course. You know, just the mental game kind of probably got him there. But, yeah, no, usually it would be something sort of more roundhouse where you could, you know, sling some shots off tees. That really helped his eye. Badge was an interesting one. He Courses that suited him were, further to Phil's point at the start of the day, thinkers' courses. He, he really liked – because he loved golfing his ball both ways, left, right, high, low. So when he won at Hilton Head years ago – I'd caddied there quite a few times and that course requires all sorts of shaped shots and very narrow trees and you know Bads will be the first to tell you he doesn't hit it overly straight all the time right <laughs> he uh, he certainly struggles with the uh, accuracy side of things but he his ability to hit shaped shots is oh, right up there so he plays well there almost every year and yet it's one of the tightest tracks going around so you think that's sort of an oxymoron really well I'm going to declare that one of the reasons that Tiger, and again, based on no research, but one of the reasons well, that now. Tiger <laughs> has done so well at Augusta and then comes to Royal Melbourne and hits shots that the rest oh. of the, I mean, watching him in the President's Cup, <clears throat> he hit shots everywhere that Alistair McKenzie would have wanted him to land balls. I mean, this this was not him thinking his way around the course. He hit- You could see you could see his mind almost working, Phil, couldn't you, going, oh, I'm going to do this now, and like he's playing it. On his playing shots, like playing a course at the driving. Sure, I watched him on the practice fairway on the last was morning ridiculous. and just sat there mesmerised by him, where he was actually hitting. He'd hit two shots, say with his seven iron, and then get his yardage book out and his notes out, and look at them, and then and in fact, I've got video of him, and then sort of dropping his head and considering what's about to happen, and then hitting two more shots, which is almost him rehearsing a shot that he's going to hit into say ten or eleven around Royal. But I think he is a thinking man's golfer who also has the ability, and yes, he plays well all around the world. But I think if McKenzie had a golfer that could best suit a McKenzie course, I've got, I've just got, on the basis of nothing, I've got no doubt that he would actually elect to have probably, funnily enough, the two goats, the tied goat, the equal goat, the opti goat, uh, Jack, and the Catman. But as far as the Tillinghouse courses, sorry, that was the only other point I was going to make. There, there are three guys in the field, and we're going to get onto our picks in a little bit, but there are three guys in the field who – Happen to be my three picks, who play Tillinghast courses exceptionally well. Ah. Well, then let's get straight into those, Phil. Who who are your tips, boys? We've gone through the course. We've gone through a bit of the history of it all. We've gone through all sorts of different things. But now it comes down to who are you tipping to win the US Open this um, weekend? Okay. So here are my three in no particular order. And I'm sorry for the first one because it's Dustin Johnson. And it's not him because of all oh, the events and his form. boring. DJ, how's this for research? DJ Putt. <laughs> sorry, sorry, thinking oh, man's golfer. He, one, he is a thinking man's golfer. Two, he can work the ball both ways because he's a freak. But he putts well and he gets power. So Dustin Johnson has had a lot of success putting on power. So step one, and a lot of success around Tillinghouse courses. He's a, he's a power putter. He's a power putter. The next he's a power, power putter. putter. His mother was a mother. Hang on, before you go on that, he's, the other thing with DJ is that I guess he doesn't get affected by things that have gone wrong because he's probably got the memory of a goldfish. Oh, so wow. he's forgotten what's just happened and he just yeah, moves forward. Outrageous. Good on Second, you, just moving along before we get sued. He, he's, a, he's on the show next week. <laughs> <laughs> a young Australian lad, Jason Day. Really? Putt lights really? out. Really? Yeah. He will putt lights out and, again, have got 
all the shots in his bag. And then my favourite one, and this is going to impress everybody, Patrick Reed. Now, I continue to pick Patrick Reed. I picked him for the USPGA. Murga. He is as good a Murga. Murga is as good a ball striker as I have witnessed live in my life. He is unbelievable talent. I wish the bunker thing had never happened, but I, th- but the bunker thing's forgotten now. I, th- I think everyone's moved on, and he's ready to win another major. What's he done this season, Philip? I haven't been up with it. Has he done any good at yes, all? Yes, he has done any good at all. Has, has he done many good? How is that for research? <laughs> he came. Um, <laughs> I think he finished top ten in the USPGA. He finished top. 10 or 15 in the FedEx Cup. He's ready to go. And he's a, he, a, a proven major winner as well. absolutely cherry up. So there you go. Who, who else has got some picks for me that can mock mine? Okay. Well, well my, see, mine are uh, – you guys are going to laugh at me, don't worry. But my tips, I've actually got Louis Oosthuizen. I, I love Louis as a – one, he's a thinking – uh, he's a thinking golfer for sure. He's a proven major winner. He's he's done fairly well at US Opens in the past. He was runner-up in 2015, which was a year Spieth won at Chambers Bay. But I just think he'll be he'll be brilliant at thinking his way around the course. But he's also a solid putter. He's a he's a really tight tight putter. So um, Louis, and he's probably paying like sixty odd sixty or or sixty seven or something like that. You you for the punters, get on him. You'll do all right with the old Louis. My next pick, again, no, in no particular order, except I think it'll be Louis first, Matthew Fitzpatrick. No, he's a, he's a renowned straight hitter, so that's going to be a huge advantage um, at, at winged foot. And what I mean by that is he doesn't he doesn't get himself into a lot of trouble. He finds uh-huh. he's he's very good at staying out of trouble, and, and he's putting certainly up to the mark. And we finished second on the PGA Tour in strokes gained putting. So he's he's got two of the two of the key elements hey, that I reckon. Check you out need. the big brains on Brad. The two <laughs> that you need uh, need to get around winged foot. Um, my third one. I've got Justin Rose. I know he's been inconsistent. I know he's been inconsistent. But Rose, he <laughs> fall off his chair. I know Phil, Phil hates my tips, but I love ball Justin striking. Rose, so do I. He's ball striking. If, if he gets it back, he's. I mean, he's a he's a mint um, ball striker, and he's a proven major winner again. And he's he's that older seasoned pro now that I really think he's a, he's a dead set chance to win. And US Opens, you often see people pop up from out of nowhere to win, especially when they've been tricked up that uh, you know that severely. And I've, I've actually got a fourth little roughie here just to just to keep it going, Phil. And you're gonna this will make you fall off that chair. Fall all seven feet. Rich Bean. No, he was my next one, but <laughs> Brant Snedica. <laughs> and it's really for one reason, like Sned is a long way back. He's paying, I think he's paying like a hundred and something. How much do you need to pay your mortgage? He's, he's a hundred and something to one. <laughs> <laughs> You've just got the best multi of all time. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, when he gets hot with the putter, there's no one better except probably Patrick Reed's yellow one, where they they both they both have a tendency to score birdies in multiples, and I reckon that's a massive asset at a place when we're thinking the scoring is going to be quite high. So one birdie's worth two at winged foot, um, and he hasn't he hasn't won for a while. So fair enough. I'll cop I'll cop a sledge on Sneds, okay? But but his um, his putting of late has shown some signs. He's he's been. You know, top ten a couple of times the US Open. So uh, he's he's the one. If you want massive odds, get on him, <laughs> but don't put much on. <laughs> okay, let's get some sensibility back because that's just ridiculous. I mean, that that I'll declare. I'll happily put my three head to head against yours because that's ridiculous. Oh, okay. What are we doing, Phil? Let's do something seriously. Yeah, let's do I something. Guarantee. Yeah, yeah. Over to you, yeah. days while we come Keep up with something. Please, <laughs> mate. I've got roughies coming out my ears as well. I'm going to go for Phil. I'm going to go for Speedy, and I'm going to go for not a roughie, but uh, Xander. They're me three. 
I reckon Xander's got a legit chance. Shafafali's a, um, a red hot chance. And the other two, I just, I just love seeing a roughie. And should either of those two get up close, it'd be fun to watch because Spieth can't find the planet at the moment, the poor bloke. We, we know we know how well, much I love Spieth. If he if he wins, I'm happy. He's a yeah, jet. Exactly. He just it's it's one of those ones where you you dead set thought oh he'll he'll get it back, but it's getting now a year year and a half like it's just will he get it back? That's a like the guy was touted as racking up millions of majors, and now there's a genuine. Question. Yeah, but do you remember yeah. when people were saying the same thing about Tiger after all of his troubles that he'd never be back, he'll never be back, he'll never be back, and he yeah, but the guy had a broken back and yeah. a broken leg, he and he did a- have five vertebrae <laughs> fused and had a knee reconstruction. Whereas Jordan Spieth is healthy, and he wasn't forty. <laughs> Spieth will keep it. Spieth, Spieth will, will be come back. back. I will it put my house on. open. But thanks for your suggestion. You, you reckon? So, so your boys are both confident. I, I reckon he's just the poor little bugger's got a bit shot and confident. Now, and that's I don't know. He had so much brash about him. I, I dead th- said it was agreeance with you. So I thought he was, but now I'm I'm hoping he is. So that's why he's in me top three. Yeah, that was that was two weeks ago. What's changed in the fortnight that's now made you jump oh, off well, him so severely? But what about Mickelson? Mm. Is it so? One of the challenges of not having a crowd. So I don't mind Phil as a pick, but one of the challenges of not having a crowd is that there's nothing to feed off. So you've actually got to you've got to actually drive that all yourself. Is Phil able to? Pretend there's an audience yeah. screaming at him. Hundred percent. He 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 can play in his bubble, and as long as he's got a little mini bet in his head, he, w- he, he that's all he needs. So he'll just he'll just no, nah, he, he'll be fine. I think in that that sense, it's just yeah. Obviously, for obvious reasons, he's a roughie, but I'd uh, I'd love to see it. Now, Kipper, we're we're just going to move along because we've spoken a lot about the U.S. Open, and if people are not certain about exactly how good our picks are, just follow Mont. But here's a question. <laughs> Don't follow mine. Here's a question from the gallery kipper, and it's for you, uh, and it's from Liam, uh, and he sent us a message via our Instagram page at Golf Barons. For Dion, are you ready? Listen up. Right, this could this could go either way. I'd like to know what the difference is in courses between PGA Tour, Corn Ferry, and the Champions Tour, because their mate Big Left, who you've backed for the US Open, goes out and shoots ten under in the opening round of the Champions Tour. Is it the pressure, or are the courses set shorter, or what else is going on? Yeah, there's pr- probably three main differences. Length is three main, three yeah, three main. Yeah, that's right. Three uh, basically, length is is be almost the biggest. Right, the captain obvious, right? But it'll it'll be pin place. It'll be pin placements, right? That's that's the second, and also what we spoke about, which is the uh, the benchmark of this whole week, the tripping of up, tripping upness. Yeah, the tripping upness. <laughs> of course, or even tricking upness up. of courses. No, I like tripping. Yeah, does does. Tripping, tripping up, does not exist. They just, it's look, see, that's what you got. So it's, it just, all it does is you go shoot a number, right? And I remember my first ever, ever year landing in the States. I'd obviously only been in Australia, played Australian courses, and I landed in the States and played Arizona courses for a few weeks. And it was just staggering the difference in your mindset in only two weeks compared to, you know, a whole lifetime, mini lifetime of me playing in Australia was like, wow, this is, you just pull the trigger, you aim at every pin, you aim, you know, you just bomb it, you, it's so different. So, yeah, that, that, they're the three main differences. And JC, in our last podcast, did point out that Bernard Langer, there is a, there is a very, very strong feeling that if he could play off a forward tee on the PJ Tour, he'd still be winning more than his fair share. It is just that, it's just that length thing. And, and it's about raising the bar. I mean, it is about running with the big dogs. It's about raising the bar and getting – these guys to realise that, okay, you, you're in the big leagues now and things do get tougher. And Corn Ferry, they're trying to test out the next the future stars and they need all the attraction mm. and the money they can get. And if Birdies does that, 
then let's bring in birdies. And people want to see the greatest players that have ever lived in their, um, you know, yesteryears, or not yesteryears, in their old years, basically getting to the point where they can shoot a number and look like they were. No one wants to see them shooting 10 over <laughs> to win a championship. It's just not good golf. Dees, we're going to end this podcast with a with a tale from the tour, one of your one of your finest, because you had a bit of you got a bit of a story from Winged Foot, do you not? Last time you were there, and uh, and believe it or not, it it has to do with being fired. Oh yeah, well no, oh, oh no. yeah, well yes, and, yes and no. I'd put it this way: I got a million stories. That's about four podcasts <laughs> no. on on Winged Foot just in thirty six holes. We'll have the fired um, series. Yeah, so the. I don't even know where to start with this, but basically, <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll start it from the final day that I ever caddied on the uh, US Tour, or ever caddied, really. I rock up early morning, waltz into the caddy tent, had me little uh, meal. think, all right, better go out to the fairway and meet young Robert. So I walk across the fairway, walk up to the bag, said, g'day. Nothing came back. I thought, oh, he eh, mightn't have heard me. So I said, g'day again. Nothing came back. So I thought, okay, he's having maybe a rough morning. So I grabbed the towel, wet the towel, came back to the bag, thought I'd try my luck again. <laughs> said, uh, how was your, how's your night, Rob? Don't talk to me. I said, <laughs> oh, all right. So I'd learnt after you know, a year and a half with Robert, if he says don't talk, you just don't talk. So I sat there. Anyway, he's like, started barking on about the night before we had a bit of a mischief, the, the pair of us on uh, on the putting green. Um Opinions were uh, <laughs> were exchanged on certain certain things to do with the putting, and he held that uh, all night. So he wasn't happy. So walking off the practice fairway on the way to the second round of the US Open, tied for twenty first, I think we were. Uh, he says, oh, "I don't want you to talk today." <laughs> I said, oh. I said, oh. I said oh. "Oh, yeah." I said, "So how, how do we do this?" He said, "Just don't say a word. Show me the book. That's all you're good for." So I said, "All right." So. With that, I waltzed to the first tee, which was the 10th tee, par three. And I'm like, right, how do you do this? You can't really braille him, right? So I thought, oh, well, I'll just draw reasonably big-sized pictures next to the the yardage. <laughs> so I draw his yardage out, and then I just start doing Pictionary. <laughs> right? Big arrow with quite a few crosses <laughs> meant strong wind. And somehow he takes all this information in. Doesn't ask me anything because I wasn't allowed to talk. We're playing with Anguel Cabrera and his caddy. Now, they obviously, Argentine, they, they don't speak very, well, they do speak English, but not fluently. So they just choose, you know, to say, pick their um, pick their moments to talk to you. So it was just silent time, right? So we tee off and he hits it. It's a big green, the old 10th. He hits it about three clubs short, right? Length, front edge and the pins back left. With that, he's just into me on the first tee all the way down. You, you wanted that to happen, didn't you? Uh, and I said, Robert, I didn't. He said, I told you not to talk. I said, I said, right. So as we walked out, all I could think of is, geez, it's going to be a long five hours, real long five hours. This. So we get to the green. I pop the bag down, walk over, you know, get the get the ball, wash it. And he goes, I'm going to four putt this just for you. And I said, Robert. And he goes, not a word. And I'm like, all right. So I walk over the side of the green, <laughs> and this is a long putt. Anyway, to be credit, it's a pretty good putt, but it dribbled by by about six feet, and I knew, absolutely knew that wasn't going to go in. So as he's walking up to mark his ball, he just looks at me and goes, that was for you. Uh, <laughs> so he marks his ball, and I'm like, this definitely is not going in. Hits his next one, six foot, doesn't go in, but it goes to three foot, and I'm like, he dead set's going to four putt this, right? And he just looks at me, 
and, and stares at me. Like, there's a gallery, there's, unlike this week, there's thousands of people, right, watching us, right? He's just staring across the green, giving me daggers over his three foot, contemplating in his head, does he miss it on purpose just to get back at me or does he hole it and move on? Anyway, knocks it in, walks over the side of the green, and he said, you've just cost me. And he goes, you you cost me and you don't even talk. That's how bad you are, right? <laughs> and I said, Rob, you got your excuse out early of you this today. Well, he went Ken Bruce, right? <laughs> the fury in his face went absolutely – anyway, that was the end of that. And there was a few words that, uh, yeah, we won't go into that were exchanged on the way to the 11th. And from the 11th all the way through the whole day, I didn't say a word, um, just showed the yardage book, got fired, oh, I reckon probably eight, nine times. Um, <laughs> whilst, but ironically, whilst up 18 and we'd started to play pretty well with the last six holes, so he's coming home with the train. So asked me a question on 18, I'm like, this is a setup. And I knew it was a setup because he hadn't asked me anything for 17 holes. So he had an excuse if I'd got it wrong that he was just going to be into me. And uh, anyway, so we had a bit of a chat, told him what I thought and he hit a shot, he did okay. And anyway, walked in and... At the end of it, I, <laughs> I put the bag down out front of the old little hut. He goes into sign his card, and I just grabbed everything that was mine as fast as I could out of the bag. <laughs> you know, your keys, your wallet, whatever you, you – know, you got stuff in the bag that you leave in there for years, like just little things all the time that you need. I just fleeced the bag as much as I could. I'm like, right, I think I'm out. I've got, got me goodies, definitely got me car keys. As he comes out, I'm like, you oh. know, I said, look, we're not working, are we, Rob? <laughs> 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 and, he, and, he, and he said, no, we're not. And I said, I just put my hand out. I said, look, it's been a pleasure. We've had some great times, but we're obviously just not not doing the best as a team right now. And I, and I think I better walk away. And anyway, he's like, yeah, look. And he can't calm down. He's like, yeah, no, you're right. He goes, look, it's just not happening for us out there, is it? I said, no. And and I said, would you like me to uh, get your caddy for tomorrow? He's like, nah, I'll get me own. I said, all right, well, best of luck. And you never know, one day we might. Like rekindle and see how we go, but um, best of luck. And, and that was that. And then uh, walked off and, and that was it. Did hear the old tour trailer at the gym, got a bit of a workout uh, a few minutes later. A few noises went down in the old uh, tour trailer that a few of the boys told me about. But yeah, anyway, the, uh, that was that. And we're tied for, I think, 20 something at the US Open. And uh, that was the end of it. So I uh, got to go out actually that night down at, um, in New York, caught, <laughs> got the train down. The boys had booked in Sasha big uh, raver back in the day and so I got down and had a good night with him so um that was about the end of my time in New York <laughs> and the last round I'd ever had on tour very good and on that note we'll bring this tenuous links golf podcast to a close be sure to keep supporting us by watching golf barons on demand on KO and Foxtel the whole first season is there for you to peruse at your leisure for our US and UK listeners you can see our first season on Amazon Prime also, head over to baronslife.com and sign up to get reminders about this podcast or to check out the latest issue of Barons Life Golf and Lifestyle magazine with plenty of game-changing content inside. Enjoy the US Open at Winged Foot. It promises to be an absolute belter. We'll be back next week to dissect this week's major. Until then, Barons, add some swagger to your swing.